0: Alright, well we're going to turn back to the text that we had last week actually, Romans chapter 6. And um, we're going to look again at the verse that we considered last week. But uh, remembering last week we had the water baptism. And we looked specifically at the truth that lies behind that. And we looked at... um, what it means to be born again from above. And uh, I trust that it was a clear message and that people understood it because it's one that must be understood because it's not about being religious, amen, it's about being born from above and unless a person is born again, they cannot see or enter the kingdom of God. And so um, these things are critically important for our understanding uh, one for ourselves personally in order and also to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second birth is what we looked at. Now, there are many truths that are associated with being born from above. And so as I pondered what I was going to minister this week, um, this was came, uh, actually, anyway, but nevertheless I felt compelled and led to speak upon the particul- this particular issue because what's important is that we want people to be born well, amen? Born healthy into the kingdom of God. So that when they are born from above, uh, that we are, uh, are born well, born healthy, born strong, that we have an understanding and a comprehension of what the will of the Lord is. And so there are many truths that are associated with the one that has been born from above. We are partakers of the divine nature, Christ in you, the hope of glory. There's so many wonderful, glorious truths that are forthcoming as a result of that particular point. And I want to touch upon some of this and I want to consider some things with you because in Romans chapter 6, and the text that we're going to look at, uh, it, 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 uh, it speaks of, uh, of our identification with Christ. And really that's what happens when we are born from above. We are identifying with Christ. And there's a spiritual aspect that's related to that because the scripture says, uh, when we talk about water baptism when we look at this particular text sometimes, but you've got to look beyond that because we were baptized into Christ, the, the scripture says. And having been baptised into Christ, we have identified with Christ. And so, uh, spiritually speaking, as we will see in the text, we have identified with his death and we are to identify and have identified with his resurrection. And so, these things are important. Uh, it says in verse 3, "Or Do you not know that as many of us as were baptised into Christ Jesus we're baptised into his death. say, so what does that mean when it says that? Because there's a spiritual truth here and it must have a practical application to the Christian life and that's what we want to consider this morning. These are the, some of the things that we want to glean so that we can understand uh, what God would have us to do and how to live as a Christian because... Uh, What this text teaches us I believe uh, is one of the most important and fundamental truths uh, of Christian life uh, and it must be clearly understood especially early on as a new believer in Christ Then we would understand what God would require of us, what the word of the Lord would uh, teach us to do, how to walk worthy before, before God and fully please him. And so... We want to, oh, I want to preach a message that I've entitled this morning, Born, not again, (laughs) Born Crucified. Okay? Born Crucified. And there's a truth that surrounds this and lies behind this and I want to uh, uh, um, identify it with you because if we're going to walk in the victory of Christ, if we're going to abide in the fullness of Christ, if we're going to walk and live in the Spirit as we are exhorted to in Scripture, then it is imperative this morning that we understand that we have been born crucified and what that is for us in the spiritual aspect, but how it practically applies to our lives as we seek to serve the Lord and walk in the place of sanctification before Him. Hallelujah. And really what we're dealing with is the issue or principle of death and life. And I want to start verse 5. We looked at verse 4 last week, but we want to look at verse 5 today. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. few references to death there, isn't there? And for a good reason as well, and yet we find the words, we have been crucified with him. So, in being born from above, in being born again, we are born crucified. Okay? Now, Paul is speaking here, just to establish quickly the context, Paul's dealing primarily with the issue of sin, and so being dead to sin, having uh, identified and being baptised into the death of Christ, having been crucified with him, as the scripture says, uh, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So the context of this principle truth that Paul's talking about is, uh, it finds its application in relation to sin. But the principle uh, uh, has greater applications than just that. And so we're not, we're not going to be looking specifically at the, the uh, sin, how the principle relates to it, although we will be addressing it in a roundabout way. But we're going to, I want us to see the truth itself. I want us to fully identify with the truth itself that we have been born crucified in being born again from above. I have now identified with Christ's death. I have been crucified with him. Verse five clearly states it: For we have been united together in the likeness of his death; certainly, we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. You see, if there's going to be a resurrection, amen, there first has to be a death. Okay, that's the whole nature and of resurrection. There first has to be a death. And so, um, uh, there's many people that have expounded upon these particular texts and these verses and, uh, and in some ways there's been some levels of confusion which I don't want to go into but I'm just going to uh, teach it and preach it the way in which the Lord has revealed it to me over the years. But nevertheless, uh, the issue of death is critical and uh, if we're going to walk in the resurrection life then we have to understand that we have been united together in the likeness of his death. We have been crucified with Christ, now it says in verse six, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Now remember, what's the best way to understand when Paul refers to the old man? Uh, sometimes we read that and we think about the old self, but you see, uh, it's, a, it's not by primarily referring to that. Remember, last week we looked at what it means to be born again, having been born into Adam and then having to be born from above or being born of God and then being born into Christ. And so uh, if you look at chapter 5 and the context of which you find that there is a distinction of that which is Adam and that which is Christ. And so when we are born again we are in Christ, we are new creations in Christ. And so knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. So, in other words, what is it that has died? What is it that um, has been crucified? It is, uh, in a sense, in the likeness of his death, that which relates to the Adamic nature. The Bible has various references to, the, uh, to this and how it describes it. But the old man refers to the Adamic nature. It, re- it refers to what the Bible speaks of as being the natural man, the carnal man, the flesh. You find, uh, in a, it says, uh, the body of sin. So, you find that these these um, these expressions and they're all really representative of the same. They're all interchangeable in a sense, although distinctly different, but they're all fundamentally related to the same truth and which relates to the old man, the Adamic nature, the sinful nature, that which has its propensity unto sin. But praise the Lord, in having died with Christ, we have been freed, freed, That's why we don't have to yield to sin's power anymore. That's why we don't have to be bound to walk according to the flesh anymore. We walk unto a newness of life, it says in verse 3, uh, because we are living in the power and life of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, verse 6 says, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of, of sin for he who has died has been freed from sin now i want you to just note the language that paul is using here he says in verse 6 knowing this that our old man was crucified he says in verse 7 for he who has died this is past tense okay So he's getting them, he's wanting them to understand clearly what has transpired in the moment they were born from above. In the moment in which they were born of God, something transpired spiritually within them that was to manifest itself physically in their lives as they walk worthy before the Lord. And so, it says our old man was crucified. That's why I used the expression and title this morning, born crucified. Our old man was crucified with him. He who has died. You see, because if you are a Christian and Christ is in you, uh, which is the the essence uh, uh, of the gospel, amen, the Christ in you, the hope of glory, then if that is going to be a reality, then that death must have occurred. It must have happened. Otherwise, you can't be a partaker of the divine nature. And so, we pick up this idea of being born crucified. See, the issue of death and the truth of crucifixion is so important as we proceed to walk Worthy before the Lord and as a Christian. If you're going to know how to uh, walk worthy before God, then you're going to have to understand the issue that you have been uh, that you have been crucified with Christ. If you can turn with me to First Corinthians, cha- uh, sorry, um, Galatians chapter two. In Galatians chapter two is a familiar portion of Scripture, and it reiterates the same truth fundamentally. But let's read it because, and I'm going to go to a few texts here today as we look at a few things. But in verse 19 of chapter 2, Paul says, For I, through the law, died to the law. Now, Paul's talking now to the, uh, in relation to the law. Okay, in chapter 6 where we were looking at, he was talking about the issue of sin. All right, But again, the principle is still constant. It's the same and it applies. And so we have died to the law. Romans chapter 7 actually talks about that, that we can be married to another, which is Christ. So these themes and these truths constantly find recurrence in the epistles. But uh, here, the same truth is still coming and underpinning all of this, where it says in verse 19, For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. Now, here's the words, I have been, not I will be, not I I am being, I have been. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. See, Paul had a, cu- a comprehension, a revelation, an insight and an understanding to that which had transpired when he was born of God. I've been crucified with Christ. But you see, there's lots of truth that, that's contained just in this text alone. He says, it is no longer I who live. Not that he doesn't exist in the self sense because you're still there, Right? but it's no longer I that live in the sense that I don't live and walk according to my will and my ways, but rather now I am operating uh, according to the laws of God, the law of the spirit of life in Christ. And he says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Hallelujah. Christ lives in me. There's my crutch right there, Brother Sam. <laughs> Christ in me, what a glorious truth. Uh, And I can, every time I talk about it or say that word, I just stand in amazement and wonder at such a wonderful God that I am the temple of God, that we are the temple of God, that Christ is in us. This is the gospel, the mystery revealed. And so, how exciting It is, hallelujah. And so Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And in light of that, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, Paul is very acutely aware and he's very mindful that his life now is not his own. He understands that he has been bought with a price and the life he now lives in the flesh, he is uh, under an obligation to love the Lord with all of his heart, to serve the Lord with every facet of his being and uh, in in this instance, uh, uh, in a life that I love, I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God and loved me and gave himself for me. I'm crucified with Christ. He came to a place where he understood it's not my will, but it's your will that must be done. Now, let me say this. This can be a struggle for people, and this is sometimes for all of us, and many a times, where the battle lies, because who is going to have the ascendancy in your life? Is it going to be God, Christ? Or is it going to be self and the flesh? And this is the, uh, as we embark on the journey of the Christian life, we very quickly learn the struggles that are associated with this. That there's a battle that rages because we find that God's word and God's will is for us to go in this direction and yet we find that we want to do this. And so who, who prevails? And so this is very important because you must understand that, that your position and identification with Christ and the likeness of his death, you've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live. That's why if the Lord wills, what does God want? What does God say? What's God's will in this moment and in this instance? Because he is the one that's in control. He is Lord. Amen. And so we, we begin to walk in this practically in the issues of life. Christ or self? Will we walk in the spirit or after the flesh? I remember when I first got saved, a friend of mine who I was, uh, had, had uh, uh, joined with me at the time uh, and then after a month he realised, hey, wait a minute, I have to make some serious decisions here. Um, is uh, I have to forsake this, I have to stop doing that. And he said, well, you know what? I'm not going to pay that price and, and off he went. And usually we would look at that and say, well, there's somebody who doesn't understand the issue of the cross, who has no understanding of the crucifixion and uh, I question whether ultimately in that moment of time I was actually born of God. But you see, these issues will manifest and they will manifest... Uh, in various ways and they will manifest for the child of God as well you see when you understand that you were born crucified you realise that you are now obligated it is as Paul would say your reasonable service to God it's the logical thing to do we love him because he first loved us we lay down our lives for him because he laid down his life for me it's not, it's not illogical. God asks nothing of us that he hasn't done for us, does he? And so in light of this we, we begin to see uh, and Paul would say it in Romans 12 where he would say, um, I beseech you, therefore brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies, now listen to this, a living sacrifice. You see, we're spiritually speaking, we have identified with Christ, we are crucified with Christ, we are in the new man, But you see, we're still in the flesh and so we must now present our bodies as a living sacrifice because if you don't, your flesh will gain an ascendancy and you'll begin to walk after the dictates of your own heart, your own will, your own desires and God will be second and distant and God doesn't take that place in our lives. Amen. He's first. He's foremost. He's Lord of all. And so we have to learn that lesson. So Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now listen to this, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So in light of this fact, in light of this reality that we have, uh, 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 we have been born crucified, we must now take it to a practical application and, and say to ourselves, then how do I live the crucified life? How am I to live the crucified life that is well-pleasing to God? Because if you read the Gospels, Jesus is very clear about this, isn't he? and how many instances just uh, throughout the throughout the gospels do we find jesus says uh, that you must take up your cross and follow me now is the cross a symbol of joy <laughs> no the cross is a symbol of death and so i'll read a couple of scriptures if i may just so that we can identify with them in the words themselves but in math in oh, we'll start at luke chapter 9 Um, uh, Jesus speaks in verse 23 and he says these words. He says, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. See, notice here there's a death to self now. You have to die to yourself. Deny yourself. Verse 24, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it for a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? Go to Matthew chapter 10, if you can, in verse 38. It's again the same, similar words being reiterated. Let's read it. Chapter 10, verse 38, Jesus speaks and he says, And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Again, here's this issue of the cross because it must have a practical application to our lives. You can't go about calling yourself a Christian saying you love the Lord and just doing your own thing. You have to follow Jesus. You have to be a true to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. You must have and dealt with the issue of the cross. The cross is central. Now if you when you're born again and having been crucified with Christ, then you must automatically come to an understanding. It's not my will, but it's your will that must be done. And there will be things where you'll be confronted and you'll be conflicted in your own heart and you're going to have to make a choice. Is it God or is it me? Is it God? Is it the truth? Or is it this lie? What am I going to do? What choices am I going to make? If I can read in John 12, John chapter 12, and just uh, verses 24 and 25, again, Jesus is speaking... And he says these words. Most assuredly, he's speaking of himself, but there's a principle here. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. You see, it's all about denying yourself take up your cross and follow me. That means amen that we will, we will do those things that are pleasing to him. That means that we will structure our lives that are centred around the kingdom of God. That means, amen, that uh, uh, you know I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to uh, have a devotional life, I'm going to walk with the Lord, I'm going to be in the house of God, amen, when church is on. I'm going to uh, walk holy and walk blamelessly and righteously before the Lord. These determinations must be made and you can be sure, amen, that we will all have to confront these things in and of ourselves in this life it's just the reality you see this brings to light another issue I've looked at the fact that in Christ we have died right now I'm telling you you must die okay you must die in the sense now that you have to yield to God in the sense that you have to submit to God and so the issue of death is constantly playing itself out, in which we see we, we are saying no to ourselves and yes to God. And so, because we are identifying with that constantly. And this is over the course of life, amen, over the journey of the Christian life, because if we're not vigilant and uh, mindful of these things, we will all be, can, into uh, this trap. And so we must live the crucified life. <laughs> is what we're dealing with. Turn to Galatians chapter 5 because again we find some further applications of the crucified life. And Paul is dealing with the issue of the flesh and the spirit. And uh, he's talking about the need and there's the exhortation in verse 16 of chapter 5 where he says, Walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfil the lust of the flesh. Now, he says, uh, for the, le- the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit lusts against the flesh, and they are contrary to one another. Isn't that the reality of the Christian life? Can someone say amen? Let's all be real. We've all got the same human nature. We all understand the the struggles, the the contrariness of our flesh and it wants to gain an ascendancy. It wants to dictate, it wants to guide us in a path and a direction that is always opposed to God. And yet the challenge is to ensure that we are walking in the Spirit and the Bible says if you walk in the Spirit then you will not fulfil the lusts of the flesh. That's the way to, gain the, to walk in victory, to walk in fullness, to walk in the Spirit and to live above, amen, and free from the power of sin and the lusts of the flesh to be kept in check. Because all you've got to do is start feeding your flesh and watch it come alive. Now, in verse 24 of chapter 5 of Galatians, if you're there, listen to what Paul says because he's talking about the works of the flesh and the fruits of, fruit of the Spirit. But then he says in verse 24, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Notice he says have, that's the past tense again. It's reiterating the same truth, born crucified, I'm crucified with Christ. But notice in verse 25 he says, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. That's the now. You're going to have to learn to walk as a Christian. You're going to have to learn to walk in Christ. You're going to have to learn to walk in, in His power and in His grace and in His fullness. But, amen, there's nothing more satisfying to the believer, amen, than walking in the Spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. That you can, uh, we live in the world but we're not of the world. We, what nourishes us and what feeds us, amen, is as we read the Bible, as we fellowship with God, as we talk to God, and they say, uh, that the world looks at us and they say it's a crutch, but it's more than a crutch, hallelujah. I have a relationship with God. I know God. I fellowship with God. And they look at you as something's really weird, but you see this, this language, hallelujah, this is real. And this is what makes us alive in Christ that we have a living relationship and we, are walk, we live in the spirit and we walk in the spirit. So the flesh and the, and the spirit are contrary to one another and this struggle will exist until we put off this body. Can you say amen? We looked at the prayer meeting on Sunday, on Friday night and I shared a, it was my turn to share a word and I said where Jesus said the flesh, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. And so we have to bring, uh, so there's, there's this issue of discipline that's involved. But anyway, that's all another thing. But the point being here is that we have to walk in the spirit because the flesh, uh, Paul says, in my flesh nothing good dwells. To be carnally minded is death, Romans 8. And so when we, if we want to live and walk in the, uh, after the flesh, then I'm telling you, you will reap will reap that which you sow. And that's exactly what Paul says in Galatians 6 and and, uh, verse number uh, 8. He says, For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So, we see where the battleground is for the Christian and none of us are exempt from this. And so again, the question remains: Who's going to have the ascendancy, the spirit or the flesh? That's why, and all depends upon the crucified life. It does. Uh, when I said the word, Pastor Wooden, I said the flesh doesn't want to do. It. What, was your, what did you say on Friday, Pastor Wooden? You said um, the the flesh doesn't want to pray. The flesh doesn't want to do anything that's spiritual. Lazy. It's lazy. This flesh doesn't want to get up to pray. The flesh doesn't want to read the Bible. But I tell you what, the flesh would love to watch the TV. The flesh would love to read some gossip magazine. The flesh just loves. Isn't it amazing how you make the time for the things you love? I'm so tired. What? <laughs> and you come alive. I'm tired to pray. Oh, I'm tired. The flesh is weak. The flesh is contrary. The flesh wants to drag us away from that which is spiritual. And so we have to be very, very mindful of that. And uh, Paul deals with it in Romans 8 and shows us how. But again, we're just highlighting these issues of crucifixion, being born crucified. I have been crucified with Christ. You see, the issue of the crucified life is critical. I think that God, in his own ways and dealings with us, teaches this and reiterates this truth again and again in our Christian journey. I know for me, as I look back, even to this day, I look at various times in my life and some of the trials and the tribulations that the Lord has brought me through. And you know where God brought me? He brought me back to the cross. And each time I come back to the cross, amen, I always find God. I always find his love, his mercy, his grace. And more than that, I find his life and his power. And amen, because out of death comes life. It's the call, uh, Roy Hessen wrote about it in his book, The Calvary Road. But uh, we have to live the crucified life. So there's this issue of death to sin. There's this issue of dying to self. There's this issue as we've just looked at of dying to the flesh and what else is there that we need to die to? There's one other thing I want to consider with you that the Bible talks about and it's this, the world. The world. And yes, Sam says amen because I remember him sharing with me the other day he has, you know, just with work and with everything and he just can't wait to put off his tent, this body and just be with the Lord because this world has nothing, holds nothing. I know where there's little things that interest us here and there, but you know what? At the end of the day, this world has nothing. It's temporal, has nothing. And so, but yet in the crucified life, it has to be the world. We have to understand our relationship to the world. It's imperative. And this is where modern Christendom fails and falls short. But Paul in Galatians again in chapter 6, now he's talking in another context, but there is a principle here. He says, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, because he understands that's what it's all about as we have touched upon, whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You see, Jesus was emphatic when he said, I am not of this world. I'm not of this world. You see, in actual fact, we understand that the world is under the the power of the devil himself. The Bible refers to him as the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air, who now works in the, the spirit, who now works in the sons of disobedience. And so, when we look at the world, we see that it is contrary, it is opposed to everything that is of the kingdom of God. And so our, our relationship to the world is very, very important and there's much illustrations of this in the Bible and uh, right throughout the Old Testament and right into the New Testament, but this is a very critical issue. You see, we have to walk worthy before the Lord. Isn't it interesting that James says that pure and undefiled religion before God is... Visiting orphans and widows in their distress and keeping oneself unspotted from the world. See, there's something there, right there. Because if we're not careful, amen, our garments can be stained. And Thank God we have a stain remover. Praise the Lord. Okay? But better to not have a stain, amen? Amen? That's the standard of God. Thank God he makes provision, but that's the secondary issue. And so uh, the the issue here is that uh, we are to be unspotted from the world. In other words, our our relationship to the world is is such that we are so different. Jesus says, the world hated me, it'll hate you. And so you can't be a friend of the world because we're not of this world. The world looks at us and they think that we're crazy. We look at them and we know that they're crazy (laughs) because we know the truth. But you see, we understand we're not of this world. We don't live for this world. We don't live for the, the pleasures and the, the prosperities and, and uh, all of these things. That's not what drives us. Uh, and the Lord can bless us with various things, amen, but still our heart is not tied. We know where our, our priorities are and we have to live this way. In, in 1 John, you know the scripture, but I'm going to read it, but uh, just for the sake of it as we make the point, but the Bible's so clear in 1 John chapter 2. John speaks about the world and he says in verse 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Do not love the world. And so, if our relationship to the world has to be one of, a, of living the crucified life, denying ourselves, you see, what are we going to do? We're going to live for the Lord? We're going to do the will of the Lord? Or we're going to walk after the, the ways of this world? The Bible says do, in Romans, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so, we have and it's a reality the issue of the of what we call or what's been termed as the worldly christian if there is such a term but uh, i think it has a a bit of a significance and william law he wrote he he made this statement about the worldly christian he says the heresies of all heresies is a worldly spirit now think about it we get ang- we get upset about You know, false and rightly so. False teachings, false doctrines, anything that is contrary to the 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 truth and uh, of God's word. And we're Protestants, and we defend these things. But you know what? We're all susceptible to the same thing. And the one thing that is a stench in the sight of God is 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 worldliness. And that's why William Law, when he looks at it, he says "The the the greatest heresies of all heresies is a worldly spirit. Because it's so contrary to the purpose of God for us. It's a violation of God's plan and purpose for us because we are crucified with Christ. That's why. It violates the very principle that we're talking about. And we are living in and conducting ourselves in a manner that is utterly acceptable, unacceptable to God. And that's why God would say to the church of Laodicea, uh, He says, I wish you were hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. And I'll vomit you from my mouth. There's something about it that God can't digest. And I tell you, there's something about it as well. I understand uh, to a degree some of these things because um, I, I, I would rather people were in or out. This might sound a little bit harsh, but at least we know where you stand. than to be in the middle ground, in the grey area, sitting on the fence and of such a worldly spirit because that is indigestible and it's unacceptable. And so my job is to make you feel a little uncomfortable about that. Because God would have us to understand that we have been crucified with Christ and we need to live the crucified life. And so the modern church's ruin has its roots in worldliness. And we can all be a victim to worldliness in some way. Let's be honest. I know that I I have young children and they're growing up and I see things and, you know, as we all do as parents and we like to point out bits and pieces. But, you know, what about us? (laughs) What worldliness is, is attached to us? And I was reading and I found this statement by a man named, uh, I don't know his first name, Al Maxwell, but um, he says, he's speaking to older people about this particular truth. And he says, You may rightly condemn the young person's love of the dance, the show, and the theatre, but are you under the spell of politics, of art, or science, or money, or ambition, or popularity, or power, he says, the world is a different world to a young person as it is to a middle-aged or an older person. But the narcotic is no less deadly. Now, think about that because there's such profound truth in that. We don't deal with those issues. We have moved on with them. You know, our kids are growing up and they're like, oh, you know, singing that song or singing that. It's like, what are you doing with that? But anyways, I'll save that for another time. But the point being is, is each of us, as we, as we live for the Lord, as we walk with the Lord, we must be very alert and watchful and mindful of these things because lest our hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and the, the, uh, you know the, the things of this life. Born crucified, that's what we're talking about talking about living the crucified life and as I said to you before the answer to all of these things church is the cross the cross you see thank God that we can be convicted by the Lord that we can identify these things and we can come to the cross we can always come back to the cross and at the cross we can find repentance at the cross amen we find the the love of God the forgiveness of God thank god the cross solves every amen and we can come it's not just about our salvation and, and obviously it is but you see in the course of the journey of the christian life sometimes we may lose our way sometimes we veer off and you know what you have to do you come back to the foot of the cross and you say lord i've i've veered i've drifted and you come back and as you come in confession, hallelujah, then again God gives you. And then at that point of death, when you come back to identification with his death, as you yield and surrender and you, amen, now live it practically, you will find that out of the cross, out of death comes life. And when you taste that life, you want more of it, hallelujah. You say, how did I ever drift away from it? I was drinking from the wrong system. The wrong You see, the gateway to life is death. And uh, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. You see, if you lose your life, you'll find it. It's the, this is the paradox. We, people are so desperate to try and latch onto it. I want it. The world, the world, look, this, 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 and then you will lose it. But if you lose your life, you'll find it in Christ. And, uh, and then, as the scripture says in Romans, having been identified in the likeness of his death, so shall we be identified in the likeness of his resurrection. And so we walk and we live in that. Hallelujah. That issue of resurrection, I mean, I'm not going to go into detail now, but it is profound and uh, that's what Romans 8 is all about. It's the, 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 the spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in our mortal bodies and quickens us and it constantly infuses us with life. And as we go through our journey in this world, as we go through the trials, as we go through the dry times, amen, we can come to God and we can drink freely from the river of life we find refreshment we find renewal we find everything that we need to sustain us spiritually before the Lord and how wonderful it is you see that's why Paul said for me to live is Christ he understood the crucified life for me to live is Christ You see, are we living the crucified life? And this is just a question that we all need to examine. We need to examine our hearts, our, test ourselves at various times, just to ensure, amen, because sometimes there are some things that just need to go. Some things that, Sometimes we just need to readdress some of the issues that, of our life and say, so yep, we need to trim this, trim that, you know, this is not... And just so that we are, are, are walking worthy before the Lord, fully pleasing him. And so who? the question is, who has the ascendancy in your life? Is it Christ or is it self? Is it, uh, is it uh, Christ or is it sin? Is it um, the spirit or is it the flesh? Is it God or is it the world that is uh, in us? And so let us take up our cross and follow Jesus. I want to read one last text just because it reiterates the point that we're looking at in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 20. The Bible says speaking to the Christians for but you have not so learnt Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man. You see the old man was crucified with Christ and having put off your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you you put on the new man Christ which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now you see be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The Bible says don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's why I say what goes into the mind will come out in the life. What goes into your mind? What are you feeding on? Because I guarantee what you dwell on is how you will ultimately live. What, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so when you are reading the Bible you are basically, your mind is renewed. If you're reading the Bible, I don't care where you're at, if you're seeking God sincerely and honestly reading, then I know that you will succeed because God will speak to you. God will meet with you. God will minister to you. You'll find that the Bible will come alive and God will begin to speak and your mind will be renewed as you read the Word of God and live the crucified life. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning. For the Word of God, Father, that we have been crucified, I have been crucified with Christ, knowing that our old man was crucified with him. This is our identification, this is our position. And it is imperative, Lord, that as, uh, as uh, children of God, as born-again believers, that we understand this, because, Lord, there is a requirement that we would walk in the new man, that we would walk in the Spirit, that we would live in the Spirit. And God, I pray that if necessary, Lord, that we would put aside all those things that offend, all worldliness, all those things that would take us away from the word of God, take us away from spiritual worship, take us away from obedience. Lord, let us choose, choose to serve the Lord. Oh God, I pray blessings in Jesus' name. Amen.